for me, it's quite an, in, in its own way, quite an historic event because this is probably one of the few times uh, that this particular um, period in South African or Southern African history has been formally introduced and noted. Um, and I've known Ian for some time now through my work in the Van Plettenberg History Society. Um, and also, when my mother was alive, I stayed with my mother for 10 years before she passed on in Plett. Um, she and I worked together on a family history because my great-grandfather on my mother's side was a Russian, well not Russian actually, a Ukrainian Jew who, f who was attested in the Lichtenberg Commander in 19, January 1900, the second phase of the, Anglo, the Second Anglo-Boer War, and fought under Delaray in that commando. And my opa was in a concentration camp uh, as a child, but he nevertheless joined with Louis Boerter in the, um, in the, the, the World War I in um, Namibia, or what became Namibia, before uh, going to France and, uh, and was wounded uh, at Delville Wood. So I came across Ian's books on Delville Wood, which you'll find outside, which were the most comprehensive books I've ever read on any war, any time in the history of the human race. It, I couldn't believe the quality of Ian's research. He was, in fact, uh, a former chairman of the Military History Society, and has done work not only on um, World War I and in Delville Wood in particular, but also uh, aspects, and including the Helderberg commander of, uh, of the Anglo-Boer War, and others, Victoria Crosses. You will see Ian's list of books published as being as comprehensive a set of military history books as you could ever hope to have. But the thing that always impressed me about Ian's work is the meticulousness and detail of the research, which is not for babies. I do my own research, but I'm not 1% as diligent as Ian is. So it gives me a tremendous pleasure to ask Ian to address us on um, awards and citations in the Anglo uh, in the Angolan Civil War. Thank you. Thanks very much. There we go. Okay. Um, well, good morning all. Um, thanks very much for this opportunity of uh, talking about our border war heroes. Um, you will excuse me if I use notes because it's not personal experience that, uh, that I can rely on in this case. Far from it. I'll speak on a selection of uh, the Honoris Crooks because obviously there's too many to uh, try and cover them uh, in detail. I must, however, digress slightly and take one back to um, the first book I wrote, which was in 1973. Uh, when I was a schoolboy at Muir in uh, Utenhoek in the 50s, I made a scrapbook on South Africans who'd won the Victoria Cross. In fact, anybody who'd won the Victoria Cross. So I wrote an encyclopedia and asked them who were the South Africans. And they sent me three names. And at the time, I already knew of 20. 
So I realized, you know, this is a book that will have to be written. Um, among the recipients, now let's see which one I use. Nope. There we go. Uh, among the recipients um, is Quinton Smythe. He's a gentleman on the left. He was a sergeant with the Natal Carboneers in Second World War now. And um, just before what they called the Gazala Gallop, when uh, Rommel's forces pushed through, he led a platoon where his officer had been wounded. And um, he took over, and with his rifle and uh, grenades, he attacked I Italian positions and took one after the other, machine gun positions and so forth, and his platoon came along with him. Then they were surrounded, and he managed to extricate them all. So he got uh, South Africa's first Victoria Cross for the South African forces. Uh, the second gentleman in the centre, the tall man, was um, Lieutenant Toys Norton from East London. He'd been a bank clerk, and um, as a sergeant, he escaped from Tobruk with his officer, uh, Lieutenant Bailey, and they walked and hitchhiked and whatever's almost 500 kilometers to get to El Alamein. And he earned the military medal for that. Then uh, he was commissioned and came back into Italy and served with the Hampshires. Um, as a platoon commander, um, he led the attack on the Gazal on the Gothic line. There's various lines that the, the Germans <coughs> had fortified, and this one was certainly one of the strongest. They didn't know how they'd get through. But Toys Norton went up ahead with his Tommy gun, and um, he took one position after the other. He went through houses and cleared them. He went to 88mm uh, gun positions, cleared them, went through with hand grenades and whatever. His platoon followed him, and his regiment and the whole British army. And they followed on behind this young officer and broke through the Gothic line. And for that, he got uh, Victoria Cross. He subsequently told me that uh, the bullets had nicked him, but he hadn't been wounded at all, just nicks all over. And a week or two later, he was wounded. And when he went to hospital, his twin sister, in fact, uh, nursed him. The um, highest award then, sorry, which, nope, here we go. Okay, I'll try and keep my finger down there. Um, that'll be nice. Otherwise the talk will be twice as long. <laughs> It's that black button. They're all black buttons, you see. Okay, you can leave it, leave it on there. Um, subsequently, the highest award for bravery was the Castle of Good Hope. Uh, but this was never awarded. Well, we didn't have any wars for a long while. Um, but, and that was instituted in 1952. In overseas, um, the Dominions also broke away. Uh, the Victoria Cross was replaced in Australia 
And New Zealand and Canada, they each had their own Victoria Cross. And we had our castle of good hope. Okay? Now back. Well done. Back. No, forward. Seems I was doing a better job, eh? <laughs> the earliest post war post uh, World War Two awards were in nineteen seventy two to Commandant Jan Breitenbach and Commander Woody Woodburn. Um, now you've already heard about Jan Breitenbach earlier today. Uh, he's living in Sedgefield, he's 88 today, and uh, a wonderful man. Uh, a little story he told me is that um, when he wanted to join the Fleet Air Arm as a young man, I mean he'd been through the, the army gym and so on, but now this is England and he's a little Afrikaner boy, and uh, he said at the interview he had a, a, quite a grilling from these gentlemen and one crusty old admiral then turned to him you know how important the public school was in England said to him yes young man and what school did you go to so um, Breitenbach said uh, Wellington sir and he said good God you are in <laughs> Of course, <laughs> of course, Jan never said it was Wellington near Cape Town. <laughs> no, they thought it was the Wellington in the military college. <laughs> so he got in. Uh, he led the top secret raid on Dar es Salaam. There were six of them. And uh, Woodburn was the commander of the submarine, which um, took them in there, um, which was the Emily Hobbyhouse. Breitenbach's team set charges on a bridge, tower lines, and a Rolls Royce, which regrettably belonged to the British High Commissioner. <laughs> Are you on Woody already? Yeah. Okay, Woodburn uh, was a bit late in picking them up. He was actually from the, uh, the Transkei, and uh, he'd recently um, qualified as a submarine commander, but. Um, Unfortunately, they snagged a fishing boat, which was dragged under. And he then had the very impossible situation of what did they do with a fisherman that they caught. They couldn't leave him because he would disclose about the South African secret and everything. They couldn't take him with them. So he shot him. And uh, Flum Johnson, who was in charge of the uh, Navy, called this outright murder. But I think uh, at the time, he had very little option. That decision. Yeah. It was a terrible decision. And, and, and after this, they didn't have any more attacks uh, using submarines along the coast. Um, I'm talking about contemporary attacks. Um, they were both awarded the Van Riebeck decoration. And the other operatives, the other four guys, were given Van Riebeck medals. One of them, Jan Conradi, was later to um, earn a honoris crux in an operation in 1975, and he was killed in a later contact. Woodburn became a vice admiral and chief of the navy. I was very fortunate to know him quite well because our daughters shared digs at uh, university, and uh, we used to run marathons together. Of course, he always beat me, but. Uh, that's another story. 
Um, he died a few years ago. He had a, a paralyzing uh, illness. Uh, while Brayton Dabach, as I said, still lives on in Sedgefield. Okay? The following year, 1973, the Honoris Crooks Medal was first awarded. It's the one on the right. This is basically the border war from now onwards. Okay? The Dar es Salaam was a, just an attack. Uh, because Fralimo was getting uh, involved there, and the South African government wanted to... Make an impression. Make an impression. <laughs> these, these are like what today we would call black ops. Right. Uh, a new series of medals were then created in 1975. And the Honoris Crooks were split up into the bronze, the silver, gold, and diamond in, uh, in order of importance. The highest award, of course, being diamond. But it, that was never awarded. Okay? Um, I was commissioned by the South African Defence Force then to write about um, the recipients of the medal. Art van Weyck had written books beforehand in Afrikaans, and that was a, a great help, and I certainly uh, am grateful for that. The SADF were very helpful and assisted me in, in many respects, but there was still this pervading secrecy and refused me access to some citations and details of recce's and operations. So, fortunately, um, the second book, which is published overseas and, and by 30 degrees south, is an update of my first book on the Anoris Crooks. Right? Now, this is Andre Didrichs. He was a young corporal. Uh, they called him Didis. He found himself in Angola during Operation Savannah and was sent by Commandant Breitenbach to a hill overlooking Bridge 14. The hill was called Top Hat. Uh, he was supposed to report on enemy. He was sent with 15 Faplat black troops. 14 of them deserted. And he was left with one old man who sort of assisted him. And um, he didn't know how to, to direct fire, so... Um, uh, I, think, I don't know if he was a captain, Blower, then over the radio explained to him how to do it. And uh, from the radio instructions, he then directed the artillery fire on Bridge 14 and on the uh, enemy, and it was very successful. It wreaked havoc on, on the enemy. And then they started looking for him, even with helicopters and troops. But he evaded, and four days later, he managed to regain our lines. He was awarded the Honoris Crooks and continued as a, as a recce from, from the ranks and later was to become, I think, one of our most famous reccees in South Africa. We'll talk about him further later. Thank you. In 1976, Staff Sergeant, Acting Sergeant Major Willie Ward was near Quitu Kunavale where he was acting as a rear guard. And this is a sort of one-man effort. He relieved some foreign legion soldiers of an anti-tank bazooka. 
And the only reason he, he really let them go is when they started talking rugby and he realised that they were French. <laughs> <laughs> he then uh, saw Cubans advancing with T-54 tanks. And uh, Willie took them on and in fact blew up three of them. Um, with this anti-tank rocket launcher. He then mined a bridge and held up another tank. But a shell wounded one of his blacks. In fact, it amputated the man's hand. And uh, the car wouldn't start, the, the vehicle that they had. So Willie put him over his shoulders and carried him for about four kilometers back to um, where Jan Breitenbach and the rest were. Uh, and for this he was awarded the silver in Orders Crooks. He later became a lieutenant colonel and uh, he ran Tiffany's restaurant in Sedgefield and died in September 2009 after a failed heart stent operation. Right. Thank you. That's Ola Grinica. You can see his one leg is stiff but that, that comes later. Ola followed his uh, father into the Air Force in 1972. He flew uh, helicopters for 17 Squadron and clocking up hundreds of hours in Rhodesia, Angola, Mozambique. In September 78, while assisting civilian motorists who had been ambushed on a Rhodesian road, his chopper was shot up very badly and a passenger and his flight engineer were badly wounded. Despite being half blinded by blood, Oliver ma managed to coax his chopper back to base. And he said um, he had skids, so he, he just brought it in. He couldn't really land properly, and it skidded and, and went right up to the tent where the medics were waiting for him. Grinica was then uh, more or less arrested and flown to Pretoria, to explain to the Minister of Defence why he took part in illegal cross-border operations. He explained it very well. And as a result of his explanations, it might have been the reason for the subsequent lifting of the restrictions. Because he said, they are our friends. If we don't help them, the enemy will be right into our borders. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they saw sense. In, uh, October 79, he was presented with the Honoris Crooks, and three weeks later was wounded in the leg while flying a puma. Uh, the leg became stiff, and uh, he remained in the Air Force for another four years, and then came to live in Neisner, uh, where he became Sergeant Major of the Moth Order for South Africa, and uh, he was Chairman of the Southern Cape SAF Association, and recently he was ill with COVID-19, but I think he's okay now. Thank you. That's Ola when he got married after his decoration. Right, then Lance Corporal Gareth Rutherford. I'm picking each of these because of a different twist or a different way of operating. There's so many where people rescued others that you could only take one or two. Gareth Rutherford came from Coldplay and was schooled at Saks. Ah. Not his fault. <laughs> <laughs> Neither was it mine. <laughs> During an attack with Rattles on a Swapo base in June 1980, his unit was pinned down. 
He was tasked to take over from the medical orderly. So ran under fire to a burning rattle to get a first aid kit. Then attended to his wounded friends. He put in drips and gave them a sausage in under fire, for which he earned the honoris crooks. Uh, in September 2010, it's only 10 years ago, he was a contractor for the British Army in Iraq. At the border, a quantity of hashish, or dacha, was found in his jeep, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment. And despite pleading that he'd been framed. And as far as I know, he is still in an Iraqi jail. Wow. Requires some action. Well, we've tried, okay? Lieutenant Arthur Walker was the son of a Springbuck golfer and the grandson of the founder of Walkerville, which is just south of Johannesburg. He joined the SAF in 1976. And I'm sure it was he who was flying a, a chopper that took me up and, and, and my platoon at, at one stage because I remember the face very well. I thought my life depended on this guy, so I better know what he looked like. And the problem was that uh, we, we were being told to, to jump out of the, the chopper and those who jumped out the one side, it was against a, a cliff, against a, 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 a very steep slope. They were okay, but the guys jumped out the other side at a 30 foot to go down. So uh, I didn't think he was too smart. Um, right, he trained as a chopper pilot and was seconded in a to Rhodesia. In January 81, his and another Puma were attacked at a heavily defended Angolan base in the evening. When his friend attracted fire uh, and looked like it would be shot down, um, Walker switched his lights on and drew the enemy fire onto himself, thereby saving the other Puma. And he was awarded the Honoris Crooks Gold which is the second highest award. Then in December, he flew an Alouette, which is like the one we saw Olo with earlier, into a Swapo base. Uh, it was being attacked, uh, there were parabats in there, but basically it was uh, very heavily defended. A friend of his was shot down, a Belgian pilot, and uh, he then tried to come down after these chaps. Once he landed, to save fuel, the instructions were always to switch your engine off. So he had to switch it off. But he then took his R1 and sat behind an a, a ant heap, firing at the enemy. And then some parabats came nearby and he realized, well, he can go now. So he took off and then saw the smoke from the, the other chopper that had been shot down and then looked further and saw the two, um, the pilot and the technician running, being chased by uh, the enemy. Um, it's a Belgian pilot and technician. So Walker flew over them, over the enemy and over them and landed ahead for them to jump in. They jumped in and he took off and he said it was all just snot and trana. He said the Belgian was crying, and, and so, so was he. And he said it's very difficult to fly when you've got tears in your eyes. <laughs> he was awarded... Sorry, yeah. uh, quite uh, uh, 
Ah. Can you come and use this mic, please? Actually, you can use this one. Or we, we, yeah, we yeah, have come it. Yeah, So, there was a lot of flying out. So, obviously, Sorry, this one here. Anyway, there was uh, a lot of flying around. So, there was obviously going to be a, um, an air display of some kind, I thought. So, I phoned Suzanne. I said, what's happening? She said, no, she sees all this action going on and whatever, all the, the practicing. In fact, what it was was the passing out or the... The, the leaving of the SAE Air Force by the, the then current uh, head of the Air Force. And uh, so they watched the, so the helicopters were flying over and she saw the, the number under, what, I can't remember the number now, 8349, whatever it is, she saw the, the number of, it, of one of the helicopters flying, flying over, which subsequently turned out to have been flown at that time by the then head of the Air Force. So she said, there, that's Arthur's plane, the one that, that was um, involved in this, in this latest and all crooks. So then I sent that, uh, then she sent me some pictures, so I sent it on to another colleague, a young colleague of mine, Ruben Fanica, who's just joined us. And I said, you know, a lot of action going on because I know he's interested in the Air Force. So, and his dad was in the Air Force. So he said, you won't believe it. When that... The damage that when he was uh, taking that Kazavak and he hit the trees, he damaged the rotor. So he got to a safe place and then they had to put it down. And then they flew in the technicians to come and replace the rotor. And you know who's, who's the person, the technician charged with replacing the rotor was Ruben von Nikirk's father. Crazy. So now the two of them are working together, uh, Suzanne and Ruben, but they were, invo they were involved with this incident. Can you give us your name for the record? Uh, Roger Houghton. Thank you. I've just moved to Plinburg Bay from Pretoria. Wonderful, welcome. Thanks a lot for that. Next, next picture. Yeah. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, Suzanne and Arthur. Um, he was awarded another Honoris Crooks Gold. And uh, some said that it should have been the diamond. Um, there's an article in the Military History Journal where they said that uh, the policy at the time was that the, the English-speaking people shouldn't be given so many awards or such high awards. Sure. But um, that's just conjecture. Uh, later got the Southern Cross Medal then flew mercenaries in uh, Central Africa for executive outcomes. And uh, died probably about two years ago, is it? Yeah. Thank you. Right. This is uh, Major Dick Lua of 8th Squadron. Uh, he'd served in, in Korea with our Cheetah Squadron. And as a young second lieutenant, in September 1952, he led a formation of Mustangs and bombed an enemy position for which he was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. So almost 30 years later, as a major, he flew Impalas over Angola. 
In August 81, Captain Leslie Rudman uh, is now a general and OC of Special Forces. Uh, Rudman and his Bushman unit was ambushed at night. Uh, they requested air support, and Lua was the, the nearest to them. Fortunately, he had uh, enough ammunition, but he could hardly see anything. And uh, he flew to their rescue, and he depended on his altimeter for his height above the ground, and strafed, strafed the enemy. By the time his ammunition ran out, he'd saved the whole company and was awarded the Honoris Crook Silver. Okay. This is Staff Sergeant Amilka Quiros of Fouraki Regiment. He was involved with the um, Vanon Tatui episode. He was an Angolan Portuguese who spoke seven languages. During a recce operation in Cabinda, which is northern uh, Angola near the oil fields, in 1985, their party was detected by the enemy. And that was quite easy, because when dawn came and, uh, and they'd moved through uh, the tall grass, of course, with the dew, it was quite clear where the pathways were, where they'd gone. And uh, the toy, Captain Vainon de Toy, and two others uh, separated from them, and the two other men were killed, and the toy was captured. Quiroz then extricated his guys. He shouted in Portuguese to the enemy, and uh, you know he kept things going and looked after his wounded. And eventually, when uh, he could and, and night fell, he extricated the remaining five men and uh, led them through the enemy lines to the submarine pickup point. His boldness and personal concern for the wounded made him a worthy recipient of the Honoris Crooks. Unfortunately, his medals went on auction in 2012. I don't know what the circumstances were. Captain de Toy, as you know, was released after a couple of years and now lives in George. He wrote a book recently in which he accused General Constant Falun of betraying them. And today he's proposing an independent Western Cape. Right, thank you. Um, yeah, I have a yeah, left. Just on that last gentleman, uh, just prior to that, just, do we know where he is today? No. No. I think the answer would be to follow the trail that's opened up, or the lead that's opened up by the auction. Find out how the medals came into the auctioneer's position. No, but being Portuguese speaking, I would imagine he could go to Portugal, Angola, wherever he likes. Yeah. yeah. But that, that, I would follow the trail of that middle sale. Well, I, I can't you, the um, auctioneers possibly won't give you the details, but they might go to the person who bought the medals and say so and so is interested and leave it up to them. Okay, um, um, Bruce Fiddler of the SA Medical Services showed incredible solo bravery. At 11 p.m. Yeah, I got the wrong name. No, leave it. It's fine. He comes just now. 
At 11 p.m. on the 14th of September 85, two vehicles were ambushed in Angola. Major Tienes Kutsia on the left and Captain Leon Philipson were wounded, as well as Fiddler. Uh, Kutsia tried to assist Fiddler but was shot in the shoulder. So Philipson helped him to safety, which is about 300 meters away. They were both awarded the Nordis Crooks medals. And that seemed to be the end of it. Well, Except that Fiddler wasn't dead. He was very badly wounded. He was then captured by the enemy and mercilessly tortured. He refused to reveal the location of his unit, which included a number of doctors. He had received special forces training in misleading interrogators. So his torturers eventually gave up and executed him. When his remains were repatriated seven years later, it became apparent how horribly he had been tortured. He was recommended for the Honoris Crooks Gold, but was posthumously awarded the Honoris Crooks. Sorry? Yeah. That's uh, Bruce Fiddler. Okay. Okay, can we move? Next. Yes, we can move. Okay. Um, this is Major Andre Didricks. If you recall, one of the first person I spoke about uh, on the border war was Didis. Didricks, and this is him. But, um, he and Sergeant Neves Matthias, who you can see with him down there, uh, were special forces and were a two-man recce team since 1980. Didis had earned the Honoris Crooks as a corporal near Bridge 14 10 years earlier. That was in 1975. They sometimes infiltrated hundreds of kilometers behind enemy lines and were often within meters of enemy sentries. They also took part in strikes against the ANC in Zimbabwe. He was awarded the Honoris Crooks Silver, one of three such double awards, and Matthias got the Honoris Crooks Bronze. Okay? That is, did his, he was later awarded the Southern Cross Medal and became a lieutenant colonel. He wrote a book about his exploits and died of cancer in 2005, aged 50. His daughter, Mona, uh, worked for me in Nisna at one stage. Okay. Captain Chris Toddler of 5 Recce Regiment Special Forces operated with C.C. Victorino, the black man with him, as a two-man recce team also behind enemy lines. And often these recce teams would be put together in operations. And this happened with him and Didis. They infiltrated the Menongu airfield in southern Angola at night, obviously. And they were within meters of the enemy. He was actually accosted by one, but managed to bluff his way past them. Despite being in mortal danger, he acted in a professional manner and was awarded the Honoris Crooks in 1986. He later wrote this book about his experience as a recce. Thank you. Now, 12 recce regiment frogmen from 4 recce regiment earned the medal in a single action. Major Kuhn Wilkie, seen there, Staff Sergeant Gert Heidenreich and 10 others. 
They were Staff Sergeant Birkman and Sergeants Bert, De Wet, Herbst, Liebenberg, Manuel, Utel, Van der Merwe, Vessels, and Corporal Van Nicker. So I'm not going to talk about all of them. I'll just give you the highlights of this operation. Um, on the night of the 25th of August, 87, a combat swimming team reached the heavily defended Quito Cunavale Bridge in Angola. The river was infested by crocodiles, yet they laid their charges against the bridge supports. The frogmen were detected by the enemy who attacked with hand grenades and small arms fire. Wilkie was wounded in the left arm and compelled to swim on the surface. Okay? I say. Heidenreich is a fellow at the top there, on top right. Uh, at first light, the enemy patrols searched for them. Heidenreich and others returned the fire with pistols. Major Wilkie was then attacked by a crocodile and had his flipper bitten off, but he managed to evade it. Later, Staff Sergeant Birkman was attacked by a crocodile and dragged to the bottom of the river. But they had um, self-breathing apparatus with them, and he fought it off with his knife. After seven hours swimming and hiding, they managed to reach a pickup point and were then taken 20 kilometers to the helicopter landing zones. The bridge was partially destroyed and closed. All 12 men received the Honoris Crooks. Heidenreich later told me that he believed it that it was only God's help and that it saved them all. And really was a miracle. Thank you. About this time, Stuart Sturzel uh, of the Directorate of Special Tasks. Now, he never um, gave me a regimental number. He said it was Directorate of Special Tasks. He was serving under Commandant Les Rudman, Chapa mentioned earlier, who is today um, head of special forces as a general. Um, Sturzel was in command of a blessed book carrier armed with six Lewis machine guns. Unfortunately, they were all on the sides and they proved useless to him when they were attacked by 800 FAPLA soldiers. He was alone on the, on the, on the, on the back of the truck and an RPG rocket blew him off the vehicle and wounded him. He fired with his AK, but was shot in the chest, then wounded in the back by anti-tank shells. Although isolated, he held his position on the flank of his team and lobbed phosphorus grenades at the enemy, which started a fire and in fact cut off most of the enemy and he could deal with those who had, were on his side of the fire. He then got his driver who had been hiding to drive them through the wall of flames, which he did, but their tires were all on fire by the time they got the other side. Um, and then he rescued some 3-2 battalion men who had been cut off before rejoining his liaison team. He was operated on, by the way, uh, G5 cannon were nearby and this is what the, the uh, enemy was trying to get to, which they never did manage. He was operated on in Rundu, then transferred to one military hospital in Pretoria. After a month, he discharged himself <laughs> and returned to the operational area. Oh my 
He retired from special forces in 1991 and subsequently set up an international company in Germany. In fact, uh, he took my wife and I out for dinner in London one night, which is quite an unforgettable experience. Right? That same year, able seaman Paul Wiley, the tall guy there, and leading seaman Gary Schooler of the South African Navy saved hundreds of passengers in the greatest sea rescue of all time. When the Oceanus was foundering off the wild coast with over 300 people still on board, the SA Defence Force was alerted. Puma helicopters were sent from the major centres and motor launches were sent from Durban. Paul Wiley was lowered onto the sinking ship and set about hoisting passengers. One fell into the sea and he dived overboard from about 90 foot apparently and rescued the man because the passengers were shouting to him which way to swim because he couldn't see through the waves. And the man meanwhile had been hit by his um, um, life jacket and had knocked unconscious. Um, Paul took him to a um, lifeboat which was trying to pick up passengers and put him aboard then swam back to the ship and despite massive waves battering its hull he managed to get back on board meanwhile Gary Schooler had been lowered at, on the forecastle, the forward part of the ship he launched a Zodiac rubber boat to rescue people in the sea but he was swept along the side of the Oceanus and underneath the back and as the ship rose and fell um, as it rose he was sucked under and he caught hold of a propeller and when it went down he held on and as soon as it started lifting again he swam free and uh, got back onto the ship got another zodiac and uh, went and picked up passengers who'd been jumping off the ship and taking them to the lifeboat uh, eventually all passengers were accounted for. Wiley was awarded the Norris Crooks gold and Schooler the silver. Okay? Um, this is Wiley when he was awarded his medal. Uh, Woody Woodburn and myself. Uh, four seamen meanwhile from the SAS Simonsburg were then lowered onto the ship to ensure that Nobody had been left behind because they hadn't all been accounted for. One of them, Luke Dix, told me that in the dark, creaking, lopsided ship, they feared it would capsize any minute. So it took a lot of bravery to go down these passages in a, in a ship that was at that angle. They all received Honoris Crooks decorations. It was Lieutenant Commander Geldnaz, Chief Petty Officer Franz Morster, and the two leading seamen, Luke Dix and Darren Brown. Okay? The last Honoris Crooks awarded was in 2004. In 2002, Major General Van Toner had tracked down Stuart Sturzel. He was the chap who got blown off the uh, Bosbok and who was uh, wounded and discharged himself and requested a written report of the action of 1987. On receiving and verifying the facts, he um, 
he approached um, as many people as he could to find out what had happened. And then he made out a citation and submitted it to the medal committee of the new South African National Defence Force, the majority of whom had been opponents of the SADF at the time of the battle. It was approved and um, it was presented to Sturzel in October 2004, which is 17 years after the action. And it was the last Nordis Crooks awarded and the only one approved by the ANC-dominated SNDF, uh, erstwhile enemies. The uh, awards were then changed after that and no more Nordis Crooks would be issued. Since then, a new series of bravery decorations have been created. In his State of the Nation address, President Ramaphosa recently said that we are a nation of heroes. Perhaps that is partially true. I leave it to you to decide. Thank you. Mm. Mm. Any questions? Yeah. So now, what I'd like is, there's two mics here, maybe Ian, if you can stand at that one there. And then anybody who wants to speak can come and use this, if you wouldn't mind using this. Okay. Yeah. Bosch and Proctor. Yeah. What about him? No, no, no. There's, there's plenty I didn't mention. But uh, he got it in the First World War. And he was very short, only five foot two. And uh, in London afterwards, he, had, he was the most decorated South African ever. He had the VC, DSO, DFC, MC and Bar, and, and the other um, campaign medals. And the sex over. Yeah, and, and, and he was arrested in London for walking along with these medals because he looked like a child, and they, they couldn't believe that he was entitled to all these medals, and turned out he was entitled to them. He, was, he wasn't jailed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his sword and blazer should still be there unless the, the current students have gone off with it. Mm. <laughs> Any more? Any more? Done. Okay, thanks, Ian. Yeah, I've got some more. Yeah, come on. Last question. Is it true that the first VC in South Africa was awarded at Kumkha? Uh, yes. Um, it's the first to. I was going to say South African unit. But he was in the 88th Connaught Rangers, uh, the, that officer. It was Hans Garrett Moore. Wow, good memory. Yeah. And, um, yeah, um, he was with the Frontier Armed and Mounted Police. And I've seen a book written there where one of them later wrote in the margins, this officer recommended himself. It should never have been awarded because it, uh, one of their friends, a chap called Gisa, um, was actually killed at the time. And I went to London and I pulled out the file and in there uh, Garrett Moore had actually written and said when are they going to award him this VC because he gave them a citation a few months back. So he had actually recommended himself and it was given to him. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, that was amazing actually because it demonstrated two things. 
um, which I equally admire. One is a prodigious memory for detail, which is extraordinary. And secondly, is the attention to detail in the field-based research, the, what they sometimes call primary research. It's one thing to read a book. It's entirely another to go to an archive and pull out a file. So salute to you, Ian. Thanks a lot.